Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman. Carrie Canarella is the curator of the Robert Penn Warren uh, Museum and House uh, here in Guthrie, Kentucky. And Carrie, you've been such a big part of uh, our launching Kentucky Reads. Uh, we started on this project, it seems, um, some many months ago, and you've been a trooper to be right there with us every uh, step of the way. How important is featuring Robert Penn Warren and the house and having so many people out front of the house today. What, what, is it, what does it mean to you in, in Guthrie? Um, to me personally, it really touches my heart. Um, of course, you know, with me being here with the home, being the curator, Robert Penn Warren is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm close to his family members and our Robert Penn Warren circle that comes yearly. We just finished that up Saturday. So, you know, anything that brings awareness that this gym is here in Guthrie, Kentucky, is just, you know, wonderful, wonderful. And I'm so thrilled that y'all invited me to help along and come here to Guthrie to do this. How did you become interested in Robert Penn Warren? I read all the King's Men when I was in um, high school, and I read a little bit of his poetry. But I was referred by a very nice lady here in town, Marcia Smith, as to uh, be the curator here at the home. And once I started that, I wanted to go beyond just knowing Robert Penn Warren's works. I wanted to know the man himself. And I, I dove into a lot of personal letters books that have been published by writers such as Randy Hendricks and several others and just kind of learn him from the inside out to feel that I could do a tour to many different people, no matter what their backgrounds were, if they were educated on, you know, his novels that he had written or his poetry, or maybe just didn't know anything about Robert Penn at all. Something that I could teach everyone. What would you want people in Kentucky that have not been to Guthrie or really don't know about Robert Penn Warren, what would you want them to know about the reason they should come here to the house and uh, and visit you and and visit the collection that uh, is in the house in Guthrie. Well, we do have wonderful collection from many well-known artists from around the world. Photographs such as um, one by Amy Leibowitz, and there's just so much history in this home, and you can almost feel his presence here um, when taking a tour. And it also kind of lets people know that no matter what size your community is there are no boundaries to success what uh, what's your favorite novel my favorite is called a portrait of a father and um it's just a very genuine book it was written after the death of robert penn's mother he actually took his father around the world to help him deal with the grief of losing his wife and you know, work through some of that, and Robert Penn asked a lot of personal questions, and, you know, to be in that time period as opposed to living in this time period, 2018, the Warren family still sets the bar for me personally as a parent. 
I still strive to be like them. They were definitely progressive people. Um, they thought outside of the box. Mrs. Warren um, had a goal set that all three of her children would be educated, and she reached that goal. So as a mother, I personally strive to be like the Warren family myself, living in 2018. One part of our Kentucky Reads uh, initiative uh, is the documentary produced by Tom Thurman uh, at KET. And at that uh, premiere uh, at uh, Western, uh, Rosanna Warren uh, has agreed to come down uh, to Bowling Green to be a part of that. Rosanna, his daughter, uh, who is also a poet. You've met her and talked with her. You know filmmaker Tom Thurman. Uh, I'm sure that the exposure that KET will give Robert Penn Warren during this uh, anniversary celebration of his Pulitzer Prize for All the King's Men uh, should entice people to, to come to Guthrie. What can you tell us about, uh, you talked about family, what can you tell us about Rosanna? Rosanna is an exceptionally elegant, beautiful, intelligent lady. Um, from the moment that I met her from studying the family, it was almost an instant connection. I felt like I already knew her. I've read so much over the past few years about her and also his son, Gabriel, you know, and I really just almost felt like family to her and we kind of hit it off and we do keep in contact with each other. And I would like to, you know, keep that connection for a very long time. She is a very near and dear lady to me. And the film that uh, the documentary that Tom is doing, you you are in uh, you were interviewed for it, and whether you make the the last edit, uh, nobody knows. Uh, but what do you what was that experience like to have Tom here? Very enjoyable, um, very enjoyable. Nothing like that. I've never experienced anything like that before. Uh, but all of everyone who came down from you know KET and Rosanna and her friend Joel. Everyone was just so down to earth, and we all kind of just clicked together, and we had a wonderful three days um, traveling from Guthrie to Cerulean, Kentucky, Princeton, Kentucky, and, you know, eating lunch together and doing our interviews, and it was, it was amazing. It was truly amazing. I think for me on a personal level, seeing Robert Penn Warren's, you know, the focus on him, is what makes it amazing because all of these years later, you know, he is still so important. And I think that that's something that we should not forget about because beyond his writings, he did so much more, you know, being involved with the civil rights movement. Um, you know, he was just a great voice in America at that time. What do you think the future of the house and the, um, uh, the collection of memorabilia uh, here in Guthrie is, uh, what would you want it to be? I would definitely, um, I hope that it is able to grow. I hope that, you know, I, I hope through the KT program um, that's coming out and the humanities coming down doing today, um, you know, visitors, I would love to have all the visitors that I can. This is definitely my passion, but I do see this home having a good long future. Um, you know, I've been looking into trying to get maybe some younger people involved because the most important thing is to make sure that it is here for future generations. Also joining us in Guthrie for the official beginning of our Kentucky Humanities Kentucky Reads program, 
was Mona Frederick, Executive Director of the Robert Penn Warren Center for the Humanities at Vanderbilt University. She's been with the program since its founding in 1988. She's responsible for creating, organizing, and overseeing the scholarly programs of the Warren Center. She has recently produced a documentary film related to the Warren Center entitled Speaking for the Humanities, as well as a digital archive containing interviews from 1964 conducted by Robert Penn Warren with U.S. civil rights activists. Mona, uh, thanks so much for participating in our Kentucky Reads uh, kickoff here in uh, Guthrie. You've been a, uh, a person that we have included in conversations about what we're going to do for some time because of your interest in Robert Penn Warren and your uh, trips to Guthrie. Uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, first of all, the, the Robert Penn Warren Center for the Humanities at Vanderbilt University and your role there and how long you've been there and uh, something about uh, what you do. Yeah, well, Bill, thank you so much to you and your staff for including me in today's exciting event here in Guthrie. There's nothing more special than being in a small town and celebrating the humanities and in areas of the country that we don't often get to. Um, at any rate, <clears throat> as you mentioned, I am at the Robert Penmoren Center for the Humanities at Vanderbilt. This is a program that was established by the university in 1988 in order to create a venue for scholars to work together across the artificial divide of disciplines. So our program works to bring scholars together around themes of interest rather than by scholarly discipline. It has been a very successful program at Vanderbilt and I was thrilled in 1989 when the Board of Trust voted to rename the Vanderbilt Center for the Humanities the Robert Penn Warren Center for the Humanities. I don't think there's, there are few people in the world who embody interdisciplinarity in the way that Warren does, who was a poet a scholar, a critic, and a historian. I think that's one of the many things that we want to do in our Kentucky Reads initiative this year at Kentucky Humanities. I felt early on that Robert Penn Warren, a native son of Guthrie and a, a citizen of Kentucky and then the world, needed uh, to be exposed, if you will, to more people, to younger people, to a new generation. And his uh, body of work um, from essays to poetry uh, to the interviews that he did himself, uh, of course to the novels and our concentration on All the King's Men, uh, only one of his uh, many best-selling novels. So I think you share that, do you not? And, and how do you think the little town of Guthrie uh, and his... Uh, his birthplace and, and the, the home that we're sitting in uh, conducting this interview uh, plays, uh, what role do they play in, in this celebration of Robert Penn Warren? Oh, I think the citizens of Guthrie play a very important role in the celebration of Robert Penn Warren and in keeping his name alive for generations to come. <clears throat> I very often think, Bill, that the humanities is a word that people don't always understand. What, what are the humanities? What, what do the humanities do? And, and I like to say that the humanities are the study of what it is to be human, and that we don't often recognize that the humanities are all around us all the time as we live and breathe and walk through our world. And I think that the maintenance of the Birthplace Museum in Guthrie is a really great example of the strength of the humanities in our world. 
that the citizens of this town came together to preserve and protect the story of Robert Pimoran and the home of his birth in order to tell the story of their town and one of their celebrated citizens. So it's a really great example of, of how the humanities are really central to our day-to-day -day lives. You mentioned uh, a couple of things in your remarks uh, today uh, at the launch of our Kentucky Reads Initiative that I think are fascinating that not too many people are familiar with. So if you would, uh, uh, let's repeat those and you can talk a, a little bit about his blindness, which he largely uh, kept a secret for much of his life. I would like for you to also uh, talk about his transformation from uh, a Kentuckian to uh, a student at Vanderbilt and, and how he arrived there and a few other things that uh, you think uh, the public at large would be interested in hearing. Robert Penmoran's life dream as a young man in Guthrie was to be a nautical engineer. And he was such a, an amazing student in high school that he received the senatorial appointment to attend the U.S. Naval Academy. This was a great uh, achievement for a young man. He finished high school at the age of 16. Um, however, the summer before he was to enroll at Annapolis, one of his siblings was playing with a piece of burning coal and threw it over a fence, not realizing his brother was on the other side. The hot coal hit Warren in the eye and damaged the vision in his eye. So the Naval Academy withdrew his nomination and he was not able to attend. A very depressed 16-year-old then entered Vanderbilt University in its engineering school. He was still intending to study engineering and to find a career in nautical engineering even though he wasn't able to go to the U.S. Naval Academy. This was difficult for him. He was young, his dreams had been dashed, he didn't want to be at Vanderbilt, and he did attempt suicide as a student at Vanderbilt. However, as time went by and he took classes in the English department and he met the lively group of poets and other literary scholars who were at Vanderbilt, Warren found his true life's calling literature. And so I like to think this is a great story, especially for young people, because sometimes when we think doors have been closed or our dreams have been dashed, in fact, we find something new in our life that gives us passion and brings us great joy. Did he not also get his nickname? Uh, some people might question, why have you uh, launched this uh, in Guthrie and painted the town red? And we understand uh, his nickname of red came from Vanderbilt? He was a redhead, and in college people just started calling him Red Warren. So the name stuck, and most of his life his friends called him Red Warren, although what I've learned from my visits to Guthrie is that people in Guthrie called him Ropen. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh-huh, so I love that. Here he's Ropen. At Vanderbilt and beyond, he became Red. But, of course, we refer to him as Robert Penn Warren. Your work um, with Robert Penn Warren is in a, a different genre uh, than a, a lot of what n normally people would think of his uh, novel writing, like all the King's Men, and his poetry, which he won uh, a Pulitzer for in both. Uh, tell me about uh, Who Speaks for the Negro and the genesis, as you understand it, of his interest in that and, and the uh, eventual publication of that book. 
Robert Penn Warren, as a student at Vanderbilt, was affiliated with a literary group known as the Fugitives and the Agrarians. When we look back on the writing of, of these men, uh, there was one woman, um, many people today would see their views as racist. Uh, they were arguing for the defense of agrarian life, but this often meant the continuation of southern plantations. So many people view the work of the agrarians and the fugitives in, in today's terms as racist, a defense of the Old South and the ways of the Old South. And uh, they published a volume called I'll Take My Stand that came out in 1927. Warren wrote an essay for that volume called The Briar Patch. And in that essay, Warren defended segregation in schools. Uh, however, he did support the idea that African Americans should receive an education similar to white students, but he felt that to have them in segregated schools was, was okay. This, at the time, was seen as something of a radical position, and the editors of I'll Take My Stand almost didn't put that in because they did not feel that African Americans needed to be educated beyond the sixth grade. As time went by and Warren's life changed and he moved and he matured, he began to look back at that essay and feel that it was an incorrect assessment of the situation. And because of that, he became really very deeply engaged in the civil rights movement. He joined the NAACP in 1948. I like to think of Warren's life in this regard as something of the evolution of an intellectual. As his world expanded and he learned more about history and literature and culture, he began to see that it was okay to question things that go on around us every day. And so because of some of that background, um, Warren wrote an essay called Segregation uh, that came out right after Brown v. Board of Education, the Supreme Court decision that ruled the school should be integrated. And then shortly thereafter, Random House commissioned him to write a book in which he explored the leadership of the African-American civil rights movement. To write that book, he traveled all around the United States, not just the South, which is significant, but all around the United States and interviewed men and women who were involved in the civil rights movement. Le names that we know today, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Stokely Carmichael, all sat down and talked with Robert Pemorn for hours. He also interviewed men and women whose names would otherwise be lost to the dustbin of history. He took those interviews and they became the basis of his 1965 book, Who Speaks for the Negro. It's an uncomfortable title for us today. And it's also, of course, not a question that can be answered because no one person speaks for any one race. And that's the conclusion that Warren came to in that book. Some years ago, I discovered that the original audio tapes from his research were still in existence. Half, about half, were at the Sound Library at Yale. The other half were at the great University of Kentucky Library. So working closely with librarians at both Yale and Kentucky and at Vanderbilt, we digitized 44-plus of these interviews, and now anyone with access to the Internet can listen to Robert Pemorin talking in live time in 1964, a very volatile time in U.S. history, to these men and women who were so deeply engaged in that movement. 
At the conclusion of his interviews and the publication of his book, had he, was there a metamorphosis in his thoughts and feelings uh, about uh, African Americans, about their place in society, about their treatment much earlier in generations past uh, on plantations? How did he conclude, or what is on the record, if you will, that tell us that he had um, a, a rebirth, if you will, about his, his life and his thoughts uh, with blacks? I think that that metamorphosis, as you so uh, eloquently call it, occurred earlier in time, and it was that metamorphosis earlier in his life that gave him the interest and devotion and determination to be a part of the civil rights movement. He opens Who Speaks for the Negro by referring back to the essay he wrote in the volume I'll Take My Stand called The Briar Patch. And he talks about the discomfort he feels about it and that in large measure he wanted to write this book essentially to make up forever having written that essay. So today... Uh, many years uh, after the publication of the book, just taking that one volume with everything that we're faced with today, politics and journalism and uh, the struggle that some sense that we still have relating to African Americans and understanding their plight and and realizing that we have so uh, much to, to learn and, and so far to go, Reading Who Speaks for the Negro would help all of us understand what he went through and how those interviews that he conducted uh, were helpful? What's fascinating to me about the volume that he wrote in 1965 is how pertinent the questions that he asked then are still, still are for us today. Uh, he interviews Reverend James Lawson, who is one of the leaders of the Nashville sit-in movement. And much of that, although in the book, Reverend Lawson is simply a footnote, in the digital archive, it's hours of conversation. So you get much more deeply engaged in his work and in his conversation through the digital archive. But much of what they talk about is police violence and how how difficult it is for African Americans to feel that they can trust their relationship with the local police departments because sometimes they have good experiences and sometimes they have bad. Well, look how much conversation we're having today about the relationship between African American, particularly youthful men, and our police departments. So I think from my perspective, what's most interesting about the book and the archive is the fact that we as a nation continue to struggle with these very same questions that Warren was struggling with in 1964 and 1965. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities and is a production of the University of Kentucky College of Arts and Sciences. This podcast was created at the Media Depot. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. SoundCloud.